This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Go! Hey Husky fans, welcome back to Fourth and Inches, a Husky podcast. I'm Trevor. And I'm Jake. We go together like queso and frijoles. Uh, chips and dip? No. Queso, ch- queso's cheese. Yeah. And frijoles is, I, oh God, I've got, it's beans. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> why, why cheese and beans, my friend? Uh, guess what I have for dinner. <laughs> okay. I, uh, cheese and beans? Queso well, I mean, and frijoles. Come on. I just wanted to see how good you were with the native language of our neighbors in the South. My friend, I graduated Spanish, and it took me way too long to get that. You know you don't graduate Spanish. You just, like, pass the class, right? <laughs> Did you know I passed – I barely passed English, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that. I took three years of Spanish and couldn't figure out what frijoles meant. Holy cow. You did three yeah, it we mandatory three years of a foreign language, and Spanish is the easiest. So, what do you think I took? Mine was two. That's confusing. We graduated the same year. Different schools, man. Different, I mean, my schooling was state of far, Washington, though far superior. Whoa, <laughs> how are you gonna try to do Coopville like that? Because <laughs> there's forty people at that school. There's there's like a hundred per class. Oh boy, <laughs> are you guys Title One? Uh, what does that even mean? Uh, it's like a certain pop, pop percentage of your population is uh, free and reduced lunch. I do. I don't know. A, I'm not I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no because a lot of those schools that are um, winning state championships are, and some of the best in their conferences are not Title I. So there's probably a, not. There's a big story. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. But I know Bothell's, Bothell's got a lot of money. So That's, there's probably yeah. not a lot of kids getting free lunches. Yeah. If yeah I would, that makes a lot of sense. I would have definitely gone for that. If I would have known that was an option, I definitely would have gone for the free lunches, though. I mean, it's it's an option if your parents make a certain amount of money. Uh, you know, people lie all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to get out of those $3 lunches that my son had to buy every day. <laughs> Dude, those are brutal, man. It was like three if you, bucks. If you got to buy five of them, you know, every week. Bro. Bro. Dude, the only thing you can't get, like, more than one of is the main entree. You can load up on the greens. You love vegetables. <laughs> yeah, I love the greens. <laughs> you love vegetables. I clearly, I look like I eat a lot of greens, too. <laughs> <laughs> They're just battered and fried. What's up? <laughs> if, yeah, if you could just fry some Oreos or some Twinkies, yeah, and call those greens, I'm all for it. <laughs> Sounds good. We're just trying not to talk about this game this weekend. Yeah, it's, it's this one's going to be a little bit tough. Um, Let's dive in, huh? Yeah. So first of all, I think we should apologize to the listeners. Yeah. We're a day, we're a day late on our podcast. Uh, I'm going to eat that one. That was totally my fault. Uh, you know, we had a we had a we had a death in the family, and. You know, it sucks, but uh, hey, we need to do this podcast. We got people that want to hear our voices, so here we are. 
it's one of those things that um it, it was Jake's great grandma. She lived a really long time, had a really full life. It was one of those things that you know it's an inevitability for all of the, all of our aging grandparents. It's never fun. Um, but Jake, you doing okay? Oh yeah. You know, you, you fully accept it. She was 102 years old. Yeah. You know, she, uh, like you said, she lived a full, happy, good life. She did everything anybody could ever ask for. Um, you know, she had great, uh, my kids were great, great grandchildren. That's that's, crazy. A, that's incredible. You know, so, uh, you know, she, she was tired. She's ready. You know, things, things happen and, and, and you got to move on. So, you know, here we are. Do you ever have, did you ever meet your great, great grandparents? Me? No, no, neither did I. No, I had had one great grandparent die when I was a little bit older than your kids. I remember her vaguely. Yeah. She, uh, she, she was the only great grandparent I knew. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. She lived till you were in your thirties. Right. She and she was she was healthy, like still walking, did all her own thing. She lived by herself, no assisted living. She's a trooper. Wow. She's a strong, strong lady. Yeah. So, so let's let's get into this, huh? Yes, please let's. So Washington traveled to Stanford and never looked great. Uh, Jake and I and our dads went down to the game. We had a blast that weekend. Tons of Husky fans there. Got to meet a lot of people. Um, go to some really cool spots in San Francisco and Palo Alto. Uh, by the time that game kicked off at 7.30, there was a different feeling in the stadium. That's the by far the quietest stadium Jake and I have ever been to. And, uh, you know, we could really tell that the energy wasn't there. And, you know, Washington never really got in a groove after that first drive. Yeah. You know, Stanford opens up the, the, the game with a good long drive. Uh, they get down to, like, our two-yard line. We stuff them three pl- straight plays in a row, make them kick a field goal. We get the ball back. We drive down the field, score a touchdown. In my mind, here we go. I thought Offense. the march was on. Yeah, offense looks good. Um, but after that, that was the last time the offense looked good. Until, and, it, it, and I can't say that, the first drive of the second half, they came out and they looked pretty good as well. The fourth down conversion attempt really kind of chapped my, and uh, other than that, those were pretty much the only two sustaining drives that we had all day. We didn't, we didn't get the ball uh, to start a drive better than the 25-yard line the entire day. As opposed to Stanford that started at least one of their drives in our, uh, on our side of the 50. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's tough to control the clock. You know, time of possession in that game was ridiculous. They had the ball for 40 minutes. Yeah. It's, you know, unless you're going to, unless you're going to go out like an Oregon team did under Chip Kelly and score in 30 seconds, every drive, you can't win many games that way by not possessing the ball. You know, your defense is on the field a long time. They're getting tired. There's no rhythm to your offense. So 
as soon as Stanford started running the ball and gashing us, it was hard for this team to to find a rhythm offensively because they just they they never a had good starting field position and b had enough time with the ball to catch to catch anything you know deep. There's a, there's a lot of problems defensively. That was a, a really tough game to watch because we know. I mean, we've talked about it on this show that David Shaw has uh, a big ego as most defense, uh, Division One football coaches have and should have, and he's stubborn. So they're not going to stop being Stanford. So we knew what they were going to do. The second they get up, you're not going to see any chances taken from the quarterback, especially a backup, and you're going to see a steady ro- dose of the run. And the Washington – uh, up front, Washington could not stop a very vanilla Stanford offense. Yeah. They had only one drive that lasted less than five minutes. If football is won and lost in the trenches, that is the game that proves it right there. On both sides of the ball, our offensive line got pushed around. Our defensive line... They were gashing us with big gaps all day long. Cameron Scarlett, Cameron Scarlett had, it seemed like every time he touched the ball, he was getting four or five, six yards a touch. And it, it at, at, when you're at a game and you're rooting for a team, at some point it gets a little demoralizing knowing that your defense is not going to stop their running back, even though you know that they're running power O for the sixth play, straight play but they're going to keep gashing you on it. And I'm sure that's kind of what it seemed like for the offense or for the Huskies uh, bench as well. You know, you, you, there was no energy behind our bench, which I think I had the biggest problem with the entire time. We, and we had really good seats. We were, we were in the 100 level, probably what, eight, nine rows up Trev. Yeah. And right behind the UW bench. We were behind was, the defensive side. Yeah, there was no energy. You know, no no towel waving, no jumping around. A lot of guys just standing there. And it, it's it's tough to see, man. Especially when you go to a game, like you said, that the crowd energy is low. Chris Peterson is not a, a rah-rah guy. You know, Coach Pete Carroll, he's a rah-rah guy for the Seahawks. He He wants to get up in your face and slap your tush and, and jump up with you. Chris Peterson is not that guy. Chris Peterson is an X's and O guy. And if you're not doing what is taught, then he's not happy about it. So it solely lands on the players to be their own hype guys. And when those guys on the bench aren't being that for you, it's hard to stay up especially for a late game with no crowd. You saw it in the Cal game as well, where most of the fans left because they couldn't wait around an hour or two hours for a lightning delay. And there was no, there was no good atmosphere. So depending on those players that don't have any rah-rah behind them, it's tough to, it's tough to find that energy when you don't have people backing you. There was a third down where, uh, Washington had the ball and the crowd was yelling and I was able to look over at Jake using this voice right here and have a full conversation with him. 
yes that that place it got loud i think the loudest people in the stadium were the stanford coaches and players when they punched in that go ahead touchdown that put them up by two scores yeah and that was the yeah. loudest it got all day yeah um you know the thing is is we've seen games like this where you don't see a lot of energy on the bench and I'm just, I, I can't, I can't not question the coaching staff and, and what they're doing because Chris Peterson might not be the biggest rah-rah guy. I remember when they, the, they panned to him after the statue of Liberty play and he like, he was like bouncing up and down and like pumping his, fist back and forth it looked like me on the dance floor <laughs> and the, you know there's not a there's not a ton of emotion but you have you have other coaches um there needs to be some fire lit by somebody it needs to come from a coach it needs to come from the top yeah. um with that the offense seems broken there's some very interesting and alarming things that are going on with this offense that um, are a cause for the concern going for the second half of this season. Elaborate before I, uh, before I give my two cents on this. So Aaron Fuller saw 17 balls come his way. He dropped three or four of them. Um, He ended up with nine receptions. At 171 yards, an average of 19, which seemed good. Uh, that's a, I mean, that's a decent stat line. However, if you're seeing 19 balls, that means that th- there were definitely some drops. There were some balls that didn't happen. But the balls that were dropped were really important. And the balls that were dropped had a little bit more velocity on them. Um, Aaron Fuller, from what I've found, is not a number one receiver. Aaron Fuller is a... Number two receiver, a big play guy that can make a play on a back shoulder catch down the sideline. If there's some finesse involved, Aaron Fuller is a really good receiver. And if there's body control involved there, he's a really good receiver. But none of the other receivers uh, had more than two receptions. Um, none of them none had of, no, 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 no. None of the other receivers had more than one reception. You're right. Kate Otten was the other one with two. Yes. Nobody else receiver running back tight end had more than five targets. There's something broken and USC alluded to it. And now Stanford alluded to it that they were able to look at the way that Washington was set up and they were able to see those tendencies and be able to play those parts of the field where those tendencies usually lead. And Washington came out of a game against a two and three team that was reeling with only 13 points. Yeah. And that's that's my biggest problem. I tend to agree. Um, I, I I find myself struggling more with the fact that we just abandoned the run altogether. Oh yeah, uh, that is that. I think to me that's more atrocious than just targeting targeting one guy too many times. Yep. If if so, in in my mind, the reason that you're targeting one guy exponentially more than the rest of the guys is because the rest of the guys haven't proven over the season that they can handle what we're doing. And I don't mean that as far as Hunter Bryant. I think Hunter Bryant is a spectacular player. He was bracketed. 
he, he was the entire time. Uh, I think I think really highly of Kate Otten. He's the only person that caught a touchdown, scored a touchdown. The other guys are the the actual wide receivers are the ones that I have a problem. Bacelli needs to not see the field as long as the the season is going. You have a, a glimmer of hope, and to keep that glimmer of hope alive, you need to not let Bacelli see the field because that guy I have I. Do not trust him at all. I don't want to see him. There is a major clamoring for the younger talent to be playing from writers, from fans, from everybody that is watching the University of Washington football this season. Pook is out there every game, but it seems like how many catches he has on the year one for one touchdown. A spectacular yep. touchdown. He, but he's only out there in running situations. So he's on the field, but he's not running routes. And when he is running routes, it's just to get the corner away from the play itself. So, and I'm kind of digging deeper into what I think is the problem with those receivers. I, I, I don't think that they are good enough to be on the field with, Eason and Fuller and Hunter and Cade. But more than that is you have three workhorses in your backfield at all time. And at one point in early in the second half, you just decided to abandon the run altogether and you're losing, but that doesn't mean that you need to stop with your game plan and just give up on your run game. This offense is going to live and die by the run. And it, it died on Saturday because I, I alluded to that fourth down conversion attempt in the first drive of the second half. And we, we lined up with one run back in the backfield. I believe it was Richard Newton and they split him out wide pre-snap. And I looked to you as soon as that play was over and I told you how much I hated that play call. And it was because when you split Richard Newton out of the backfield as a wide receiver, you are tipping your hand and you're saying, we're not going to run this ball because it wasn't a fourth and one or short. It was a fourth and three or four. So you're not going to run with Eason for three or four yards. You're not going to QB draw him or anything like that. So when you take Newton out of the backfield, that eliminates any possibility of running the ball. And so basically the, the, the linebackers, the safeties, and the corners all know that it's a, it's a passing play, and that's all they have to cover are wide receivers. They don't have to even think about the run. So not even giving your running back a, a look in situations like that, that's what irritates me about this offense more than anything. What drives me crazy about that too, and I agree with you, I think the the empty back set with a non-mobile quarterback is is not going to work. Um, I think if we had some more talented receivers, I think maybe you are able to get away with it. But right now, you're basically saying one-on-one, my, my, run, my receivers against your defensive backs, we're going to win a battle somewhere. And we're just not doing that. And I think the problem is, and, and I didn't say this at the time, but I'm going to toot my own horn anyways, 
I knew that they were going to go try to go over the middle with one of those small possession receivers. And I don't remember if it was Bacelli or if it was Fuller, but how many times in these short down, short yarded situations over the last two years with Aaron Fuller, have we, have we seen him go over the middle with those slants one-on-one with the guy and not be able to make the catch? We saw it in Cal when he yep. dropped the ball to lose the game. Yep. And then we saw it, at Stanford when he dropped the ball and we lost the game. So what I'm going to say is the problem I have is not necessarily with Aaron Fuller, but my problem is, is these, this coaching staff keeps putting, putting him in uh, positions that are not to his strength. And I'm going to go back a little bit farther and talk. I don't know if you watched the, uh, the press conference that Chris Peterson had. Yeah. Did you watch it at all? Yes. Yes. Some of it came off pretty pompous and tone deaf. And again, I get it. He is a coach of a major division one program. And I don't think he, he, he knows this program better than I do. And, but when he said, it's all about what they put on in practice, you guys aren't at practice. You don't see what goes on at practice. I'm looking at these receivers and I'm saying, how, how can you say that these guys are putting it on film when we're watching the games and we're seeing that they're not putting it on film. How much worse are these guys? And then the question of that is, why are you recruiting these guys if they can't do it? You can't tell me that Puka Nakua is not as good as Aaron Fuller. You can't tell me that Austin Osborne is not as good as Andre Bocelli. I don't believe it. As I, I say that, a parent got, got mad at me last year because I wasn't playing as kid. And when I, when I met with him about it, he, the, the words that he used were, he's not a very good practice player. He's a gamer. And I rolled my eyes and I get it. However, my team and the kid who was playing in the spot that this parent wanted me to put his kid in for that kid was producing. I'm not seeing a ton of production from anybody outside of Aaron Fuller. And Aaron Fuller is also being putting in spots that aren't being uh, that are not productive for him. So at what point do you say we need to try something else? Yeah, and I I 100% agree with that. I I understand and I don't I don't I don't think that it's not that these guys aren't talented in practice. I think that they're talented. I think it's more of a a game plan thing, a a, a playbook thing. Maybe they're not catching on to the playbook as fast as coach Pete would like. Maybe the playbook is too complex for these young guys. And it's, and maybe and you got to dumb it down. Maybe, maybe that's why coach Pete has never been very fond of playing young guys because his offensive playbook is really schematic. And, but he contradicts himself in that. Cause he talked about Dante Pettis playing as a true freshman. There's outliers. John Ross, oh, man, I, I get it. I maybe we do need to dump it down. I don't know. I I feel like we have already dumped it down. What what happened to a trick play a game? We're not that far removed from seeing at least one trick play a game where when you're on national television, that is the first thing that the the announcers, the broadcast guys talk about is this is a Chris, Chris Peterson offense. You're you're bound to see a trick play at some point, and because once you get to the point where you have the talent, you don't have to do that anymore. 
I don't think it's been dumbed down. I this offense looks very similar to the one that they ran last year. I, I totally understand. I get it. But if if you're in Stanford and your offense is stagnant the entire game, why wouldn't you try to break out a trick play just to see if you can get things rolling a little bit? Well, and that's the question. Do you do that or do you get somebody else, get some fr- get something fresh in there? whether it's a player, whether it's a player. Um, and, you know, all that being said, you're right. The fact that once Richard Newton run out, I don't know how many more run plays they had, but you look at it, you take Richard's uh, 10 carries out, you get nine carries from Ahmed and McGrew. Yep. And that's, that's probably the worst part. Yeah. Yeah, so, for sure. Let's get into grades. We we're gonna we're gonna go through the grades. Um, then we're gonna turn this puppy around, huh? All right, Jake. What do you give the quarterback? I give the quarterback a C minus. Eason went sixteen of thirty six, which is a forty four forty four percent completion rate, which is bad. Okay. Did you see his QBR? Is it like a thirteen? It's better than a thirteen. Fourteen. <laughs> it's twenty four. <laughs> okay. If you take away the five drop, there was a legitimate five drops. If you take those away and put them as completions, he's up in the fifty-eight percent mark, which is which is decent. That's about a season average. The interception on fourth down, he had instant pressure in his face. He basically threw it up to the one receiver that he knows is going to be there, and uh, Fuller kind of slipped and the cornerback made a good play. Um, so it's hard for me to, I don't want to give him a, a, a D because I think he played okay, but I also don't think that he played good enough to carry this team, which is what a top level quarterback supposed to be doing. Right. Oh yes. Yeah. I'm with you. He got, he got rattled. Um, I'd never like it when my quarterback does more than one spin move. In a series, and there was a there was a play where he did two. Yeah, um, it was very uh, alarming to see him trying to bail out that way. When in reality, with a guy like him, I expect him to step up in the pocket and make a throw, or step him in the pocket and get rid of the ball. Yeah, yeah. So um, I don't like you know that one. He took a sack way back close to the goal line when he did one of those reverse field spin moves and. I just the percentage chance of those working is is too low for me to really get excited about. Yep, yep, I I totally agree. All right, so what do you got for the running backs? I give the running backs a C. Uh, Richard Newton was on his way to a pretty good day before he got hurt. <laughs> Ten carries, sixty-four yards. I think if he would have stayed in the game, obviously they were going to stick with with Dick Newton for the rest of the game. It seemed like he was probably working the best for this offense. So he probably would have been up in the 15 carry range by the end of the game. Uh, Ahmed had 28 yards on the ground. McGrew had a staggering 12 yards on three attempts. Unfortunately, the running game was pretty much abandoned for no particular reason. And the offense suffered because of it. You almost want to give them an incomplete, not great. Down. I don't feel right. like they got a fair shake. Right. And maybe 
yeah, sure. I'd, I'd settle for an incomplete. Yeah, I think that's, I, mean, and, I think that's the Sean perfect McGrew, grade for that, for that, for that group right yeah. there. Sean McGrew had more receiving yards than Andre Bocelli. Yeah, that was, I, you and me almost had as many receiving yards as Andre Bocelli. Three feet more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I agree with you, man. Rich Nook looked really good. Yeah. Um, that injury, I'm not sure. I haven't rewatched the game, so I don't know what it looked like. It just looked like a big scrum. It was actually pretty close to where exactly we straight on yeah. to where we were. Yeah. But I couldn't see anything. All I saw was the ball, and it freaked me out. Yep. Um, so, you know, Peterson's not going to say what he's – he kind of did the same thing that, you know, he's week to week, and sometimes it looks worse than it is. So – yeah, we'll he, see. He um, definitely holds things close to the vest. Yeah, and then just giving up on Savon and Sean McGrew, uh, I thought that was a, a really, really big mistake, and it it just looked like the offensive coaching staff panicked. Yep, agreed. It's like, we're not going to get the ball very often, so we got to score. Yeah. That's why if if that's your thoughts – that Stanford's going to, and it's really easy to, to hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Yeah. But if you know Stanford's going to milk as much clock as they can for as long as they can, you got to take those points when you're in the red zone. For sure. So, because I think that begot more panic as the game went on. Absolutely. Okay, I have a feeling I know what you're going to say for this next group. <laughs> Go ahead and do the receivers. <laughs> Uh, I, is it the fact that you know me so well, or is it the fact that after the game was over, the rest of the time that we were together that weekend, all we did was bitch about the wide receivers? <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> could it be? I don't know. Could it be both? It could be both. I, my my favorite part about that whole weekend, minus the story that I am have been waiting to tell. Since, since we landed uh, oh. um, is you have to tell your story too then <laughs> okay fair enough is when the game was over and we're in the uber back to the room and all you're doing is complaining <laughs> by yourself nobody's even answering your questions or anything <laughs> acknowledging you and you just keep going on and at one point I was like are you done complaining yet? And you're like, just give me an hour. I just need an hour. And I was like, holy cow. Can't I just have an hour? <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is the maddest I've ever seen Trevor. <laughs> that middle. I, okay. So we were in an Uber <laughs> and we were in like a Honda Civic and I was in the middle seat and it had like this little wheel bump. So I couldn't even like stick my legs together. So I was all up in both of our dad's businesses. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I got a really good friend who, um, when he, he moved to Hawaii, but when we'd watch games together, there'd be one bad play and he's like, Oh, Washington's terrible. And he was kind of the, the, the negative guy. Now that he's gone, I, I guess I took up that mantle when they lost. <laughs> Sorry, Josh. It was, it was funny to watch you incinerate. I mean, it wasn't because I was as equally as mad, but I was internally screaming <laughs> I'm a verbalizer. Yeah, you were getting it. <laughs> yeah, at one point I was like, "Is the Pac-12 even a Pac Power Five uh, 
conference you anymore? did you went full doomsday man i thought i, I was, did and uh, i even was like i was like byu's one and one in the conference they're better than us <laughs> i thought i thought for sure i was gonna have to build you a bomb shelter to like hide yeah. in for a month because oh man i i man trev it was it was funny to watch the implosion of trevor yeah good thing we got home and we were able to watch that weird cops show for about an hour before bed to calm down to calm down yep, it worked <laughs> nothing like recalibrating yourself by watching a police officer try to have a conversation with somebody who's spinning their wheels right right I, that's yeah. how i felt with you in the car <laughs> <laughs> i'm just in there i don't know <laughs> we're, we're really bad <laughs> oh gosh okay wide receiver I'm going to give them a big old fat F, capital F, man. If you look purely at stats, I mean, we talked about this a little bit. Fuller had a really nice day if you just look at stats. If you're at the game or watching it on TV and you see how many drops he has, and especially in crucial times, if I'm the coach or if I'm Eason – I can't trust Fuller in a crunch time situation anymore. I'm not throwing him the ball because he's burned us twice now. And, uh, you know. Even on the fourth down he caught, too. He he caught it and he, like, froze. Yeah. He, he thought he was going to get hit or, or, or he's. Drop it yeah, or something, man. Something, like, his mind's not right. Yeah, and, you got to feel for him a little bit on that. Huh? Yeah, so, you know, like GW says, fool me once, shame on me. Or you, fool me twice. <laughs> You're not going to fool me twice. You ain't going to fool me again. <laughs> you ain't going to fool me again. So, um, you know, we've obviously been pretty hard on Fuller on this particular podcast and pretty much all season. But um, he, he had the best game out of all of them. You know, and, and I'm going to include tight. I don't even want to grade tight ends. Um, I'm just going to clump them into receivers. Hunter yeah. Bryant had a rough day. You know, I'll give him a pass because – He's been pretty clutch for us all season, but man, he dropped some he big dro- time. He dropped some big time balls, man. He really did. Um, Bacelli, uh, me as a fan and as a podcaster and an analyst, I'm I I'm done with him. I don't want to see him. I, I he could graduate tomorrow and be done and walk off, and I'd thank him, but I don't want to see him anymore. Um, I, I'm really frustrated with him and it's, it's not even the fact that, I mean, he, he dropped a couple balls, but when he's not getting thrown to, it's because he's not getting any separation at all. So what are you doing on the field? So that's how I feel about the wide receivers today. And I kind of just pulled a little bit of a Trevor cause I'm, I'm really angry and I'm verbalizing it, but that's kind of the point of the show. Yeah. This is, it's not for you guys. It's just for us to verbalize our frustrations. So our wives don't have to hear it. Right. Oh, that's too late. <laughs> <laughs> My wife was really nice to me when I got home. Yeah. Right. She went to the Oregon game. She had a great time. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. And I'm not going to pile on too much. Cause I mean, you've, you, you've said it and we already said it already, but, Hugh Millen was was pretty hard on the receivers as well, and it came down to separation, and, and he thought they were running some pretty sloppy routes. 
So I don't need, I need, I don't know what kind of tape these younger guys need to put on to, to see the freaking field for more than just a few snaps. But it needs to happen. Give me Terrell Bynum all day. Terrell Bynum goes out for one play, gets a catch, nine yards, gets popped up the middle, gets up, yep. tosses the ball, and then gets taken out. Never sees the field again. Never gets the ball thrown to him. He's in more than the other guys. I'd like to see him, Eason, find him a little bit more. Yeah. All right. Offensive line. I'm going to give the offensive line a D. I'm not going to give them an F just because of the fact that Newton was still on his way to a decent day before the injury. There's still run blocking, but as far as pass protection goes, Stanford out physical them all game. And it, it, I mean, it was, it wasn't even close. Uh, Eason didn't have a whole lot of time the entire game. He was constantly, like you said, he, he had a double spin move. Um, to try to evade some pressure. The first spin move I felt like was unnecessary because uh, it he was, was trying weird. to get style. Points. Yeah, spin like, spin move. yeah. Like it didn't go anywhere and like there was nobody standing there. So I was like, what is he doing? Um, but man, Stanford was bringing the heat all day and it just seemed like our offensive line was kind of, they kind of lost the battle in the trenches to a couple of second, and third stringers. And that's tough to watch, especially with this offensive line, which is the strength of that offense. D-line. Um, there were times where they looked okay, so maybe a D. Maybe I talked myself into a D. But for the most part, man, they just got pushed around. Everybody knew what they were going to do, and it looked like they were getting pushed back. And if your D-line's get continuously getting pushed back by – an offensive line that was down a ton of guys. They only suited six, uh, not varsity. They only suited six scholarship offensive linemen, and that's all you could muster up. I don't know how you give them anything above that. I I want to combat that just a little bit. Um, okay. I would say a D plus C minus just because – the way that this defense is ran, defensive linemen take up blocks, correct? That's what I'm, Greg Gaines I'm, made And I'm with you on that. And the linebackers are supposed to be the one that clean up the messes, okay? Linebackers are supposed to pick the correct holes or supposed to make the tackles. You saw it all last year with Ben Burkirvin. Ben Burkirvin racked up tackles. What was our major – what was our biggest complaint about Ben Burkirvin last year? Uh, that he had a tendency to get tackled backward. Yeah, and now are we not clamoring for that as a fan base? Oh, I'd take that all day. Let, I mean, he was even good at that by the end of the year. Linebackers that can at least pick the right gap and... But when our defense, when the defensive line's getting pushed backwards, that's why they're in the D range. Uh, I, I would settle for a D+. Plus. Um, that's 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 just my argument to that is that I think the D line is kind of doing their job. They're doing their job a lot better than the linebackers are. Well, so let's I don't move think, to them. I don't think I, I'm just saying I don't think an F is a fair grade for the D line. Then I think Potawatomi yeah, and yeah, sure, okay. So I'm arguing for no reason. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I said F. No, I'm going to give him a D. Sure. So, Lineba- linebackers. Yeah. 
What do you want me to give these guys? I want you to give them an F so badly. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they get. Yeah. I mean, I just. I, I, uh, what else are you going to say about him, man? It was such a bad. It was a really poor performance. They're, it, they made. They are getting uh, broken in the wash, man. They're not finding the holes that they need to find. They're not making the tackles. Cameron Scarlett is not that good of a back, and he put up 151 yards on it. Right. And, and it's when you go to a game and actually watch them and watch the linebacking core, it's, it's, it's kind of tough to watch. You, you, it almost seems like they're a little bit lost as to where the ball is going. And yeah. uh, it's, it, it was the, the linebackers frustrated me. They really did. I don't really have I we've said a lot about the linebackers in this podcast this season and I feel like I'm just repeating myself. Sure, totally, 100%. Cuz it's it's a frustrating thing. Yep. Corners. Uh, D plus. Okay. Elaborate. I'm going to give him a D plus. It's hard for me to give him below a D plus, but that's because some of the issues that I saw were with the safeties. When Dave Mills puts up almost 300 yards on Washington's defense, and I'm not even saying his name correctly, and some of you are still nodding your heads, mm-hmm. there's a problem. No one <laughs> knows who Dave Mills is. Uh, very good. Side bro. note, that took me about three takes to get. Very good. You, you, at one point you said Trevor Bauer. I was confused. Yep. But you're right. That, that Trevor Bauer would have been too easy because I, I was like, the pitcher for the. <laughs> yeah. The guy that rocketed the ball over the center field wall. <laughs> I, I, I butchered that bo- joke, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Nobody knows who Davis Mills is. Sure. Outside of maybe people in Palo Alto. I don't know who he is. I don't know what kind of a star rating he had. Well, it, the guy's name is not KJ Costello. And he outgained Jacob Eason by almost 100 yards. To be fair, at one point, he was the number one pocket passing quarterback recruit. And to be fair, they did a really cool pregame segment on Davis where it pretty much just was about his uh, football voice. So that's how much they <laughs> football voice. Yeah, that's how much they knew about him was that you know he has a normal voice and then he goes ah ah two two twenty four blue set up. And so it scared our our corners. Huh? That's how much they are the announcers knew about Davis Mills is that so little that they're like yeah let's talk about your football voice. So the game plan and this is what's frustrating the game plan was very very simple run the ball and then. Don't allow Davis Mills to throw anything of uh, any any ball that would would be considered a risky pass. Everything was up close. Washington takes away the big play. Stanford had no um, no desire to go for a big play. Um, that being said, the times that they went, there was one where uh, Elijah Molden got mixed up and ended up giving up a big first down. The problem with with giving this cornerback room anything better than a D plus is Stanford had two like second and 17s and Washington couldn't stop them. Um, and you know, Molden was close to also having a pick six, but you know what, man, it dropped. And, uh, the D the past D when, when you give up 300 yards to a guy that I've never heard of, 
Yeah, when when you lose a game by ten points and you give up your second blown coverage in the past two weeks, I can't give you anything else. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't uh, have he didn't have a pick to go along with it. He had one. He had another play where the team got seven points off of his mistake and he was pulled. And I like that. I wish that would be happening on the other side of the ball as well, that people were being held accountable like they are on the defensive side. Totally agree. Jake, who's your player of the game? I'd like you to go first. My player of the game is there's a problem. Yeah, I agree. Safeties. F. Both? No. Okay. Combined nope. F? I don't have one. You don't have a single player of the game? Nope. Okay. My player of the game. I honestly didn't know who to put here. I struggled with finding a player for a really, really ah, screw long it. time. You know what? Rich, Rich Newton. Okay. That's... <laughs> uh, okay. I'll give you that. Fine. You got Dick Newton taking your player of the game. Mine, kicker, Peyton Henry. I love it. Henry, I freaking love it. Henry went two for two, making a 38 and a 25-yarder, and converted the play, uh, uh, point up to touchdown. He's the, only one no, you did, know, he, he's the only one that did his job all damn day. Okay, you know what? Scratch that. Mine isn't Newton. Mine's Cody Parkey and Ray Porter. <laughs> the holder and the long snapper. Those guys were nails. <laughs> Did you hear the drunk guy ab- yes. above us? Yeah. Parky. I, I nobody works harder on the sidelines than the I, long snapper. I see you, Parky. I see you, Parky. <laughs> I see you. Good snap, Parky. Good snap, Park. It was awesome. That guy was killer. Oh, man. Yeah. No, All right. No, those – yeah, those guys were nails. Those guys were nails, man. All day. Who's – Who's on watch for you, dude? <laughs> uh, again, I'd like you to go first. <laughs> oh. Bush Hamden. Dang it. God, why did I have you go first? All right, go on, Trev. You, we have the same. Did I, just, did I yeah. just kill it? Yeah, you just took it. I thought you were. Oh. I thought you were going to go somewhere else. Stop panicking. <sighs> Run the ball. Run the this ball. offensive line is good. You got to run the ball. Stop falling in love with the pass, I especially di- when it's not working. I digress. Okay. Back to earlier. Give me a trick play, Bush. Give me a Statue of Liberty. Give me a. Uh, give me a halfback pass. Give me a wide receiver pass. Um, something, man. I, I just. You have stagnant. And you know you what? Have a, you have a stagnant offense. It is time to try something different to break us out of that funk. A, a All perfect, of this goes through Peterson as well, dude. I I totally agree. I do a hundred percent. Peterson can't take the credit for the trick plays and for the good offense and the good defense and not take some of the blame. I totally understand that. Yep. But right now, I am talking about Bush Hamden, who is who is calling the plays. And I have beef with him, and not just because of the lack of trick plays, but because of the funk that this offense is in. And I want it fixed, and I want it fixed now. All right. Take a deep breath in through your nose. 
<laughs> yeah. Out through your mouth. <sighs> what does that remind you of? Usa. <laughs> you can't. Usa. <laughs> you can't <laughs> bang your therapist, Mike. <laughs> hey, man, there's kids in the car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good one. That I should have used them. You should have. Oh, man. I'm so happy you got that. Yeah. No, you I were got You're supposed you. to go to therapy, not bang your therapist. <laughs> I love that movie, man. Dang it. That, hey, you... Mike, did you go out on any dates this week? <laughs> oh, did I? <laughs> Was she hot? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> We... I think we're both like a, a good combination of both of those guys. Yeah, you're definitely Martin Lawrence. I don't know. Well, I was this weekend. I was real complaining. <laughs> you were... But we both uh, spent I... a little bit more game than that because we both got really pretty wives. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so, that's very uh... true. Very true. But I definitely. But you're taller than me. I, and I'm Will Smith because I definitely shot you in the ass too. All right. We've Usad. We're moving on. We still like this team, but we're here because we watch the games and, and we analyze the games and we have to criticize. Does this mean we hate Andre Pacelli? Does this mean we hate Aaron Fuller? No. Does this mean we hate Kyler Manu? No. Do we like those guys? Yes, because they're Huskies. But that doesn't mean we can't criticize. No, absolutely. And, and I think it's fair to say that's kind of the best part about being a fan is – you know, you can get upset when your team does bad. And yep. um, that doesn't mean that we don't love them. I will forever be one of the bis- biggest Husky fans this state's ever seen, you know. But it's okay to be pissed off when your team loses to a team that they should have beat by 20. Yeah. It, so, yeah. I mean, it, and it's okay. Our season's not over, you know. it. Oh. We, we, you know, we don't hold our own destiny. Um, I do have a question for you. Do you see Oregon losing two games? Do you see them losing to us? And do you see them, uh, even if they lost two games, but they beat us, they were going to beat us. But if we beat Oregon and we went out the rest of the year, do you see Oregon losing another game? Whew. So, I mean, the thing is with this Pac-12, I can see anything um, except Oregon winning out. I can't see a situation where somebody doesn't trip them up. That being said, I have a hard time seeing Washington winning out too. Yeah. So I don't know. If, if you're giving me the scenario that Washington beats Oregon and wins out, do I think someone else is going to trip up Oregon? I do. Okay. I think this is going to be one of those really wild years in the Pac-12 where um, t- there's going to be scenarios and and all sorts of things. Because, I mean, Oregon Oregon beat Cal, who beat us, which was great, but that was an atrocious game, and they well, did not play well. And the offensive line has not played well. That's the other outlier, too, is we need Cal to drop a couple now, too. They've already dropped. Yeah, they need to drop one more. Yep. Which, as long as Garbers is out, how how confident are you that Cal's going to win much? Oh, not very. I didn't, yeah. Even with Garbers there, I was never very confident in Cal winning a bunch. No. Are they an 8-4 and four team? Yes. Probably. Yeah, I think 8-4. and four. And if you're a Cal fan, 
even though you were the last Pac-12 team to lose, like that's a really, really good spot for Cal to be in. Yeah, totally. That's that's growing by two games than you did last year. Yep. So yeah, we love the program. We love the coaches. We love the kids. Um, that was a really tough game. But other than that, we had a blast. Going down to Stanford was really cool. Um, all now, the Stanford fans that we dealt with were really cool guys. Super so nice we people, yeah. Yep, and we got to see the campus and uh, yeah. do a little driving tour by ourselves. It's a beautiful campus, man. It really is. It's huge. I we saw do, him playing Quidditch. We did. It, that was also one of my favorite parts of the, of the trip is – That was playing, the most Stanford thing ever, right? Yeah. We're in the car. We're touring it. And we see like ten people playing Quidditch, and Trevor goes, "Are they playing Quidditch?" Yes, that's like the most Stanford thing anybody's ever done, and they have like legit like built into the ground broomsticks. Well, and built into the ground Quidditch goals. I don't know what they're called. Um, and a kid takes a shot and misses wide right, and my window's down, and I'm driving, and I go, "Ha! You missed." And all of them heard me and started laughing. And I was like, ooh, I'm such a bad person. (laughs) (laughs) The Husky fans. Yeah. And they were like, jokes on you, Brainiacs. We couldn't even get in. Yeah, right. So other than that, what was your favorite part of the trip, Trev? Because you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. This was not mine. (laughs) So... Go ahead. It was spending quality time with my dad and you guys. So the day we get down there, we are we land in San Francisco, and we decide that we're going to go down to the wharf and, and see what that's all about. And it's really cool. We went and saw this really cool old arcade. We had some really delicious lunch at this little um, chowder hut. We saw Alcatraz, and we saw a street saw performer. A bunch of yeah, so – we're walking around deciding where we want to go to lunch and we see this guy. He looks like he should have been on the cops episode that we were watching later that night. And he's trying to tie two shirts into a little skirt type of a thing. Like a a sarong. Sure. And he's trying to tie a knot and it's taking him way, way too long. And he's he's obviously really struggling with it, and all four of us kind of stopped and we're watching him. Like, is he gonna figure it out? Not and, me. I actually don't know at this point that this guy even exists. So Trevor's dad, Frank, shout out Frank, goes, Frank. Trevor, look at this guy. And all three of us turned and like looked away at like different things randomly. And Trevor turns and looks, and this guy's complete package falls out of his skirt and Trevor's the only one that sees it. And Trevor turns to me and goes, I just saw his wiener. (laughs) It was glorious that it was Trevor that that happened to. It was was so gross. And so many wiener jokes the rest of the weekend. It was fantastic, Trevor. Thank you for that. Because you really took took the heat off of me. Yeah. Because Jake got us to the uh, airport 20 minutes after our flight took off. And the lady's like, uh, like, we're like, why couldn't we get our tickets? She's like, well, because your flight just left. And I was like, nah. <laughs> our, like, our flight's not went, for two hours. 
Yeah, I was like, you're telling me just because we're here an hour and 45 minutes early, I can't get my ticket. I'm going to need to speak to your manager. <laughs> and she, she, I was like, no way. And I, I took Jake's phone. He's talking to her. And I look at it. And I see the time. And I, like, drop. And I whisper to Jake. I was like, she's right. Yeah. It left 20 minutes ago. <laughs> and it was going to be, like, 300 bucks. And it was all Jake's fault. Yeah. And, and then she did this, like, little hop. And she's like, you guys are good. And I was like, oh, thank you. Yeah. So I was so. I was in trouble for about the first five hours of our trip. And oh, th- uh, until, Jake looked like a ghost. Oh, bad. It was bad. My stomach dropped. I thought I was going to hurl. It was ugly. But then Trevor, his little misfortune happened, and it took all the heat away from me. And it was, it was glorious. Thank you, Trev. It was very, very phallical. <laughs> oh, yeah. Are we ready to put Tamford to bed? Yes, yeah, so badly. I think they just put right. us to bed. They did put us to bed. Um, yikes. So this week, Washington's back on the road. They're traveling down to Arizona. Wildcats are 4-1 and one on the year. Khalil Tate looks like Khalil Tate now. Washington, historically, has loved going to the desert. So <laughs> I don't see anything wrong with this game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have not so, played. We have not played great in the desert, especially at night. No, um, but we do have a really cool treat for you guys. We got um, Eric from the Zona Zealot, which is a part of the fan-sided Sports Illustrated network. Uh, network that's now going to be having a podcast here on Big Heads as well. Come on and preview Arizona. So uh, enjoy. All right, Esky fans, we have Eric from the Zona Zealots. It's a part of the fan-sided network. Uh, they're just now getting their podcast up here on Big Heads. Uh, so we're going to be partnering with them. Uh, he's here to talk about Arizona. Eric, why don't you introduce yourself? Yes. Yeah, so my name's Eric. I'm a local Tucsonan, um, graduate of the University of Arizona as well. Obviously, big Arizona athletics fan. Um, but, you know, happy to, you know, be a part of the sports community and especially the University of Arizona sports community. And uh, certainly appreciative of the opportunity to speak here on Big Heads today. So, Eric, uh, why don't you give me the state of the Arizona program and and how you're feeling about Kevin Sumlin's tenure there? Yes. So, um, you know, expectations were big coming in last year just because of the talent we had returning and uh, the reputation Sumlin carried both as a a coach and and a recruiter. And I know he kind of, you know, faltered down the stretch at Texas A&M, but nonetheless, we had some pretty lofty expectations last year, I'd say. So things didn't quite get out to the greatest start. And I know there's some injuries last year that certainly uh, hampered that, but nonetheless, uh, he's getting things turned around. Own um, one to start the year now four straight wins granted, you know, now we're going to face the meat of our schedule, which is going to be um, truly indicative of where this team's at from a talent and, and depth standpoint. So it'll be interesting to see, but definitely trending upwards and uh, it's good to see the team, you know, find some, some recent success here. Yeah. You know, looking back at that schedule after that first loss in, in Hawaii, my co-host was telling me pregame that he thought Hawaii was, was a lot better than I was giving them credit for. And then that was such a, a crazy game where Tate, you know, gets tackled on the one yard line. Oh yeah. Arizona being five and oh. Yep, exactly. And, and even then, I mean, Arizona just didn't really uh, perform all that well that game, especially defensively. 
the hype coming in all season was the defense was going to be better just from the additional players we added, uh, players that we had coming back. JJ, uh, Jace Whitaker specifically, excuse me, um, you know, being healthy this year, which he certainly is a difference maker uh, in the secondary. So there's a lot of hype coming into that game. That defense was going to be improved and they still gave up 45 points despite getting six turnovers in the game. Uh, you know, that game was certainly frustrating. I know Hawaii is a decent opponent, but still felt it was a game. Had we performed to our level, we probably should have won, you know, at least by seven, closer to 10 points, something like that. Sure. Uh, now, give me give me a, a, a bird's eye view of this Arizona defense. You know, everybody knows the name Colin Schooler. Um, but outside of that, Arizona, uh, non-Arizona Pac-12 fans might not know right. a ton about this group. Right. Um, well, I mean, let's let's put it this way. I think they're inconsistent. Um, and that's that's truly indicative of, of their performances this year where they go out, struggle against Hawaii, struggle against NAU in kind of the second half of that game defensively, and then, uh, you know, put together some nice performances against Texas Tech and UCLA. Granted, UCLA is not great, but, you know, kind of see them put some momentum together and then had a, uh, a nice fourth quarter against Colorado to help secure the win. But um, they're just inconsistent. They have some playmakers. Uh, the secondary is, um, I wouldn't say weak, but – not always the the most consistent. Um, Marcel Yates as the defensive coordinator has been kind of, uh, he's definitely drawn a lot of criticism from fans and, and kind of rightfully so. He's been here for four years. Um, the, the performances have gotten marginally better, if that, and it's just truly been inconsistent. Nonetheless, I mean, you know, Colin Schooler, Tony Fields are the two playmakers on defense. Um, defensive line's not, very consistent either. They don't always get a ton of pressure. I think the team only has uh, four or maybe five sacks to begin the year, which isn't, uh, which isn't great to say the least. Um, so, I mean, they, they, if they're focused and they play hard, you know, they can put together some good results, but it's, it's just not always consistent. Yeah. And, and that's what I've seen. I know the NAU game, they were up pretty big by the time they started giving up those points. I got a backdoor cover on that. I was pretty excited. About okay. That. Obviously we all know the name Khalil Tate. Uh, what else can you tell us about the offense? Uh, incredibly dynamic. Um, the receivers are starting to find a rhythm, um, and they're starting to kind of come into their own. It was a group that it, it appeared that it wasn't going to be as deep as it actually turned out to be. So it was kind of one of those fortunate things for us. Um, and I think part of it was, you know, some of these guys just needed repetition. So Cedric Peterson was really the true veteran out of the group. Jamari Joyner was a quarterback turned uh, receiver and he's finally coming into his own. So um, to see that come along, along with uh, Booby Carey, who was the uh, highly touted freshman that played along uh, alongside Grant Gunnell at, at St. Pius X high school in, in Houston there. So uh, good, good receivers um, that are starting to play well. And then of course their, uh, their backfield is honestly probably one of the deeper backfields in the pac 12 with uh, JJ Taylor. If he's good to go this week, we'll see. He didn't play. I don't think against Colorado, um, Gary Brightwell, um, Bam Smith. And of course, you know, Nathan Tilford had a tremendous game against Colorado as well. So um, I know Tate gets a lot of the credit and gets a lot of the praise and attention there and rightfully so, but I mean, there's definitely some playmakers there for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, it was the UCLA game that your uh, Tate sat out. Yes, yes. And uh, remind me of the kid's name. He was a true freshman. Uh, yes, Grant Gunnell. He is uh, the true freshman yeah. out of uh, out of Houston. 
Awesome. Yeah, this uh, this offense is super dynamic. I think, would you agree that this is probably Khalil Tate's best offensive group around him? Uh, yeah, I would say probably pretty close to that. I mean, uh, his sophomore year, he, you know, had a lot of the same guys for the most part at a couple receivers. Um, you know, Sean Poindexter, you know, last year had a, had a tremendous year. Uh, but I would say this is probably the deepest. Yeah. And when it comes to the, uh, to the passing game, what kind of routes do they run? Are they running that tree where they're looking for a patch of grass or are they doing more of those complex formations trying to, uh, pre-snap, get these guys open? Uh, I think it's more so pre-snap. So they run a lot of run pass, run pass option, read, read pass option, um, and it's really just about getting those guys in space and not having them run deep, deep routes, but more so just allowing Tate to be able to make those reads quickly and, uh, you know, try and get through those those passes quickly. So that way, you know, he finds guys in space, find, finds guys in rhythm, um, things like that. Awesome. Uh, from a Arizona perspective, what is your biggest concern playing against Washington? Uh, well, Washington's defense. I mean, this is going to be the best defense that Arizona's seen thus far. Um, and, and just kind of the physical play that Washington tends to play with that are really uh, indicative and characteristic of, of Chris Peterson's coach teams. Um, those would be the biggest things that would concern me. And, of course, the talent. This is going to be by far the most talented team Arizona has played thus far and possibly one of the most talented teams they'll play all season. Arizona wins if uh, if they take care of the football, control the clock, and uh, defense can limit what Washington's able to accomplish. Washington has some great players. Jacob Eason, the quarterback. I mean, big kid. Um, that that's the way I would think Arizona would win this. Is if uh, you know they minimize the mistakes, control the clock, and and really you know hopefully don't turn over the football. Uh, what's your prediction for the game? I got a close one. Um, I think the spreads at, I think seven or eight, I think it's going to actually be under that. I think you might see like a four or five point game. I have Washington just edging out Arizona. Um, just with the talent that they have, I think they're going to be able to come in there and get the win. Um, I'm going with, uh, Washington with the win. Uh, we'll say 35, 31. Is there anywhere people can find you, find your stuff? Yes, so you can find us at uh, zonazealots.com. So it's Z-O-N-A-Z-E-A-L-O-T-S.com. Of course, find us on Twitter as well. Eric, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right, Ezekiel fans, so that's Eric from Zona Zealots. He's got some really good stuff. Um, Really interesting takes about the Arizona program, the state of the Arizona program. I thought for a while that someone was on the hot seat, but – that's a guy who's really on the inside and sounds like they're pretty happy with what he's doing there. He's really getting the ship turned around. Yeah, it seems it seems like uh, last year they kind of just took that as it is what it is. And, um, you know, they, they wanted to get Khalil Tate back and healthy and see what this team could do with him. And after that, that, that Hawaii loss was kind of, to me, it seemed like the season could have gone one or two directions, like Sumlin's seat would have gotten really, really hot, and he probably would have been out if Arizona had a season like they did last year. But they turned it around immediately, and they're undefeated in the pack, and, and they're playing really good football right now. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, what are your thoughts on, on this game coming up on Saturday? You know, I think it's dangerous, man. That offense is, is really special. 
Um, you know, he alluded to it with all the wide receiver depth that they have. Khalil Tate is a special, special athlete, man. He doesn't just run. You know, you think of a running quarterback and, and you think of guys, you know, Michael Vick was a little guilty of it. You know, he could, he had a lot of zip on his ball, but he was a little inaccurate at times. Cam Newton, he gets a little wild. Khalil Tate, he can really fling the ball down the field. You know, he's got a lot of touch to his, to his ball. He, he, he throws a really good deep ball. The guy's really scary. If you can keep him contained, you're going to walk out of Arizona with a win. But if he runs, if he runs wild on us, I have a hard time seeing us win this game. I'm with you. You know, it's, you know, is JJ Taylor going to be back? Those questions, if they can stop that run and force them to pass, Washington's going to walk out of there. I think with a pretty easy win. Sure. My one question to you is, it's an 8 p.m. start Pacific time. It's down in the desert, and I have noticed a trend of late-night games where this team has kind of fallen flat. We kind of alluded to it earlier in the podcast. Do you think that's a real problem with this team right now, or is that me just finding a reason for them to lose when they lose? You know, I think that these these Pac-12 after-dark games are really entertaining to watch if your team isn't a part of it because you really don't have much of a rooting interest as you do if it's Washington. Um, that being said, these games are usually pretty wacky. Um, because of the late start, teams usually don't practice at 8 o'clock at night, so it's outside of their, um, their routine. Their sleep schedule's thrown off. Therefore, you can see teams that maybe aren't as talented be able to take out some of these more talented teams just because not everybody's on their A game. So, yeah, it does make me nervous. I'm not a big fan of it, but it's something we have to deal with. Yeah, I totally agree. I um, Night games really do make me nervous. And that was something coming into Stanford that also made me nervous. Uh, you, get a, you get a rowdy crowd early, a lot of drinking – People don't come in until late and tend to leave early. And it's tough to get up for a game when there's not a crowd, not only backing you, but combating you. Because you want to play against a lot of fans that don't want to see you win and that are loud because it brings energy to the field. And I think a lot of, a lot of players that play football strive on that energy. People get up for energetic games. I mean, I could tell you I was tired in the second half of that Washington game. I was tired of watching the game in the second half. That's, I mean, that was a big part of it, too. If we're winning, I'm probably in a lot better mood. Right. So, I don't know, man. It's, uh, that's a question that every fan base has to deal with. The one that probably makes me a little more nervous, compounding the fact that it's a late game, it's the second late game, second road game, back-to-back, that's – traditionally not been kind to Pac-12 teams. Yeah, yeah. So, we'll see. Well, are you ready to get into your picks? I am. How'd you do last week, Dino? Don't. Please don't tell me I sucked. Oh, you were awful. Are you serious? You went one and three. God! I held serve at two and two. Ugh, crap. Overall, dude, you are eight and twenty-six on the year. Oh my god! I hope nobody's betting with me. <laughs> I'm sixteen and nineteen still. Okay. All right, so, cool. 
what do we got this week? We got a Friday night game. We got Colorado traveling to Oregon. Oregon is a 21-point favorite. Jake, what do you got? Oh, I do as well. Trev, come on, When has Oregon – I'd like to – I'm not going to do it, but I'm curious to see how many times they've covered a spread. I don't think they've covered many. Yeah, and 21 points is a lot of points. That was kind of my justification on that. So this next one is a pick essentially. Um, Washington State headed to Arizona State. Arizona State is a one-point favorite. I'm going to take Arizona State to cover. Man, dude, you are killing me. I'm trying to help you out here. (laughs) So I got Arizona State as well. Good. Next one, we got USC going out of conference to Notre Dame. This is a a 10.5-point favorite. I'm going to take USC to cover. You know, I toyed around with that because they are pretty talented. Um... But I think they're playing. Game. I think USC is playing for Clay Hilton, which I baffles guess, me. I guess we'll I see. Yeah, I think his kids like him. That's the thing. He's not a terrible human being. Yeah, I agree. So. Next, we got Utah traveling to Oregon State. Oregon State is a fourteen-point underdog. Jake, what do you got? I'm going to take Utah to cover. Yeah, me too. I think that's an easy money right there, okay. which probably means it won't be. Right. OSU had a really impressive game against that community college that's playing in the Pac-12 right now. And and they were able to put a a good – that first few minutes of that first quarter when they were able to put up those 21, and then essentially they they held serve the rest of the game. So I still don't think Oregon State's where they need to be. Their offense is good, but Utah can score as well on bad defenses. Yep. All right, now last one, UW at Arizona. Washington is a six-point favorite. I'm going to stick true to my word. I'm going to pick UW to cover. I did too. Our fan is showing. Our fan is showing because – That's okay. Well, that's okay though because Eric picked UW not to cover but to win. So I don't feel like our fandom is that intense. I'm with you on that, and maybe if the when he did it, the line was at six and a half. Yeah. Um. So it's gone down a half a point. So maybe at six, he would have taken UW. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Well, so. he also said that they'd win by like three. Oh well, then there you go. <laughs> well, there you go. There, there you go. So. All right. Any more? Any more stories that you want to tell from San Francisco before we let the fans go? Um, we saw Sergeant Husky. That was a, that was a trip. That was but cool. The most, the coolest guy that we got to sit and hang out with a little bit was Sunny Six Killer. That was cool. Uh, yeah. turns out that he named his son after my son, which is really cool. And he calls him the same nickname. Which is pretty cool that he named him after your son, even though his son's like, I'm guessing R-A- 25 R-A- years older. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and my son, my son's one. So, yeah, you know, but hey, that and that was a cool conversation. Sonny is a super personable guy. We went up and asked him for a photo and, uh, you know, we expected to take the photo and, and say thanks and walk away. And he kind of didn't let us walk away. Yeah, he talked he, to us he, for probably a good five minutes. Yeah, at least. And and was super funny and 
Um, you know, he could have just said, okay, have a nice day and let us walk. But, it, but he talked to us and that was cool. I really appreciated that. That was, that was really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that... I, I can't, I won't get over how pretty that, that view of the main quad at Stanford was. I thought that was gorgeous. Could you imagine walking that every day? It was like a three mile drive from the start of campus to the quad. It seemed like. Well, I guess it we wouldn't like... be the dad bod pod anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe we need to start walking their quad. <laughs> yeah. We also saw a sixteen hundred square foot house with no yard being sold for three million dollars. That was intense. That would have been a five hundred thousand dollar house in Vancouver. All right, Husky fans, that'll do it for Fourth and Inch of the Husky Podcast. I'm Trevor. That's not and I'm how Jake. we end it. No, it's not. And I'm Jake. <laughs> wow. Okay. And Trevor's tired. Yeah. Hi. Wasn't expecting to do it today. Yeah, um, right. Sorry. No, I'm happy. This, uh, is no, much, cool. this is much better. Blame my dead great-grandmother, Trev. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. <laughs> uh. That was fun. That was that was pretty good. We're gonna leave that in. Go dogs. <laughs> Go dogs. Hi, I'm Chris. And I'm also Chris. And together we do a comedy podcast called Cooking with Grief. Each week we dive into four surprising facts about anything from science to history to the weird world we live in, making jokes about all of it as we go along. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can also find us on Twitter at Cooking with Grief. No G on cooking glitter apparently is so unique that it can be effectively used as forensic evidence. The Bank of England's chief economist has urged to start using people's Spotify playlists as a way of measuring the economy. In China, Avengers has been translated as Fulian or Women's Federation. Not only did the Russians capture the uh, Crimean Peninsula, they also captured some Ukrainian military dolphins. In Pinocchio, and the film becomes a real boy. In the original, it ends with a cat and a fox hanging him from a tree. <laughs> just... Scientists have wiped a snail's memory. <laughs> and Slytherin's going, can we have an extensive <laughs> series of tunnels, sort of wide enough to fit a giant people-killing snake? Where do you fall on the, uh, on the scone-scone debate? Scone, obviously. Oh, I love scone. So, what have you got to lose? Give us a try. Nothing to lose but your sweet, precious time. Yeah, that's true.